Let's pray together. Father, thank you that whenever we open the Bible, what we believe to be the book you have written, that you are speaking. Father, thank you that when your word is open, you're speaking no matter what our background is, where we've been, what we've done, or what our week has been like. Father, thank you that even if getting here this morning was like World War III with our kids, that you are speaking. Father, thank you that even if we come this morning incredibly distracted and overwhelmed by the cares of life, that when your word is open, you're speaking. Father, thank you that even if we come to this place doubting your very existence, that when the Bible is open, you're speaking. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us, including myself, that you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and illuminate your word to us that we might both hear from you and be transformed by your word. Father, I do pray for myself. I ask that you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I will always and only speak what makes much of Jesus Christ. Father, please lift him up and draw all of us to him this morning that my words may fall low and that Jesus' words would go forth into our hearts. In his name we pray, amen. Stephen Covey once wrote that in life, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is what the 2,500-year-old Old Testament book of Haggai is all about. And for Haggai, the main thing, the first thing, was rebuilding God's house, the temple. Now, in order to understand why Haggai was so intent that God's people rebuild God's house, the temple, you have to know just a little bit of the significance of the temple in the Old Testament. Now, you may be surprised to learn that the temple Solomon built, that Haggai once rebuilt, was not the first temple in the Bible. Actually, most Old Testament scholars believe that Solomon's temple was patterned after the Garden of Eden. You see, the big idea when it comes to the temple in the Bible is that the temple is where God's presence dwells with God's people. The temple is where God's presence dwells with God's people. And the Garden of Eden was a garden temple, the very first place where God's presence dwelt with God's people. Of course, Adam and Eve sin, and they get booted from the garden temple, removed from God's presence, and in the Bible, God's presence gets associated with heaven, but throughout the Old Testament, God promises that he's going to reverse the curse and one day dwell again with his people. And Solomon's temple was a partial fulfillment of God's promise to dwell with his people. And so the temple was a huge deal. It was the place where sinful humanity could commune with the holy God mediated through animal sacrifices. 
It's the place where God's people as a community could gather together, minister to one another, and serve the Lord. The temple was the place where the nations were to come and see the glory of the Lord and experience His saving power. You see, the temple was all about the same things we're all about here at City Light Church. Worship, community, and mission. The temple was the very heart of Israel's worship where they would gather to praise the holy God through sacrifices. It was the heart of community where people would come together and minister to one another before the Lord and it was the heart of mission where the nations would come and receive the blessing of Yahweh's salvation. That's the temple. Now at the time that Haggai writes, the temple lies in ruin. No worship, no community, no mission. You see, in 586 BC, the Babylonians come to Jerusalem, they conquer the city, they exile the people, and worst of all, they destroy the temple. Then in 538 BC, the Babylonians get conquered by the Persians, and the Persians let God's people go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. But in 520 B.C., 18 years later, the temple still lies in ruins. See, when they first got back to Jerusalem, they started well with the temple project, but then opposition arose, and so they gave up building God's house and got busy building their own houses. And so the book of Haggai is all about Haggai calling God's people back to building God's house. But don't miss the significance of what Haggai is calling for. He's not simply calling people to rebuild a physical structure. He's calling them back to worship, community, and mission. He's calling God's people back to God himself, which is what it means to keep first things first. And in Haggai's very first sermon, his first prophecy in verses 1 to 11 that we're going to explore this morning, Haggai focuses in on time. The big idea of verses 1 to 11 is now is the time to build God's house. Now is the time to build God's house. And then Haggai, throughout the 11 verses, gives three reasons why now is the time to build God's house. The first one is because you aren't too busy. The second, you aren't yet satisfied. And then the third, because God is worthy. We're going to take those one by one. Haggai first says, now is the time to build God's house because you aren't too busy. We'll begin in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. By the way, that's biblical irony. That's meant to be funny. It's been 18 years. They're still saying now's not the time. So if you're a bit of a procrastinator, you're in good company here. This says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? See, according to these verses, God's people knew that they were responsible to rebuild God's house. 
They even intended to rebuild God's house. They just didn't think it was the right time to rebuild God's house because they said, we don't have time. We're too busy to build God's house. That's their objection. And the Lord answers their objection with a biting rebuke in verse 4. Is it a time? You say you don't have time. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, why does the Lord rebuke them? It's not because it's wrong to build a house or to panel an already existing house, okay? So if you're remodeling your house right now, the big idea of this sermon isn't that you need to repent, okay? That's not wrong to do. Remember the significance of the temple. The temple is God's dwelling place with God's people. It represents worship, community, and mission. To not have time to build God's house was to not have time for worship, community, and mission. It was to not have time for God himself. To not have time to build God's house was to put God second. And wherever God is second, God is rejected. And so they say now is not the time. In the New Testament terms of this in Matthew chapter 6, you could say the situation was they were too busy and too anxious to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I can hear myself in verse 4. I mean, how many of us have said something just like that? Lord, I will get busy with worship community mission. I will enjoy your presence and I'll serve you just as soon as I get out of this season. Like just as soon as I get done with med school, I'll serve you. Just as soon as I'm done with residency, then I'll be all in. Just as soon as we're done planning this wedding, just as soon as our marriage is a little bit stronger, just as soon as these kids are a little bit older, just as soon as we're a little less insane with our schedule, then I will enjoy the fellowship of a city group. Then I will spend time in your presence. Then I'll minister to your people. Then I'll share your gospel and... Our response is somewhat similar to Israel. I'm too busy. I don't have time. And the Lord's response in verse 4 is pretty simple. They're saying, we don't have time. And his response is, you don't have a time issue. We don't have time. You don't have a time issue. Case in point, you have all the time in the world to build what you love and what you trust. You have all the time in the world, so to speak, to build your own house. That's what verse 9 says. It says, each of you busies himself with his own house. The Lord says, if you're saying you don't have time for me, you don't have a time issue. You have a love issue and a trust issue because we're always building what we love most and what we trust most. See, the dirty little secret about time is that we actually all have an equal amount of it. It's one of the few things like that. And we spend our time on what we love most 
and what we trust most. And so the people say, we're too busy. And the Lord says, you don't have a time issue. You know, one of the great privileges I have of being a pastor here at City Light is that so many of you are bucking the trend that the Israelites are setting here. Like so many of you have really young kids, like multiple kids under the age of five, and somehow you just, you still gather them together. Like, no, we're gonna go worship the Lord at church. We're gonna go be part of a city group, and your city group is nuts. Like if you come to a city group at my house, it's just bananas. There's kids everywhere. My house is destroyed every Wednesday night, and then we try, but why? It's because people are saying, no, now is the time to build the Lord's house. I'm not gonna wait until these kids are a little bit older, and by the way, it's not like they get less busy when they get older. Then they have like all these activities Activities you have to run around for and all that. And they, I just love that in our church, there are people say, no, now's the time. So many of you are getting your careers off the ground right now. Your lives are nuts. And you say, no, we're going to be committed to enjoying the Lord's presence and serving the Lord's people. I love that. Like, there are so many medical students in this room that prove you can seek first the kingdom and go to medical school at the same time. I love that. And Haggai's word, the Lord's word through him is, if today you feel like now is not the time, you don't have a time issue. You have a love issue. You have a trust issue. So a great question for us to wrestle with what would we put in this blank? Yes, I want God to be part of my life, but what I really need is blank. Or this one, but I couldn't give up blank to serve the Lord and enjoy his presence. Whatever it is you're tempted to put in that blank right now, it will not leave you satisfied. And that's the second reason why now is the time to build the Lord's house. First, because you aren't too busy, but second, because you aren't yet satisfied. Verse five. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You looked for much, but behold, it came to little. And now verse 9. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. You notice in verses 5 and 7, the Lord gives the same cutting command. Consider your ways. In other words, the Lord's saying, so you're too busy for me. How's that going for you? Is that leaving you satisfied? That leaving you full and satisfied? Consider your ways. 
And then interestingly, Haggai goes on to describe their ways, and it actually doesn't sound all that bad. They sound relatively affluent. Notice in verse 4, it says that they're building paneled houses. That's the same kind of house that King Solomon lived in in 1 Kings. They're doing fine. Alec Matir, Old Testament scholar, describes their situation this way. They had seed to sow, food to eat, wine to drink, clothes to wear, gainful employment, but no true satisfaction. This was the problem. They had goods, but the good life eluded them. They were not hungry, but neither were they satisfied. That, my friends, is life with God in second place. Full, but never satisfied. And why aren't they satisfied? Well, look at verse 9. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Don't miss the Lord is saying, it's me, I'm the one who's sending upon you a spirit of discontentment to get your attention. It's as though the Lord is graciously in the season where they have their fill sending them a spirit of discontentment to wake them up that all of their building will not satisfy them if their building is to the neglect of the one they were built for. And so the Lord is sending them this spirit of dissatisfaction to wake them up. Have you ever experienced that? Where just one thing after another you actually want and accomplish and still it leaves you, it leaves you filled but never satisfied? I know some of us in this room are still young enough to think that satisfaction is around the corner of just the next life stage and the next accomplishment. But life with God in second place it will always live, leave you filled but never satisfied. Uh, Tom Brady, who I, I make a point to almost never quote. Um, <laughs> by the way, if, if you're not familiar with who Tom Brady is, he's an American football player, uh, plays for the Patriots, who's like the football equivalent of the New York Yankees. So if you're not from New England and you like them, I consider that a deep problem. So Tom Brady in 2005, after winning his third Super Bowl ring, I think gave words to this reality of filled but never satisfied. This was in a, a 60 Minutes interview. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Well, cheating, but why do I have, <laughs> why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. What's interesting is I went back and listened to the interview that Tom Brady gave, and right after he says this, the interviewer says, so what's the answer? And he laughs, and he says, wish I knew. Wish I knew. And then the interviewer just laughs too. 
That's life with God in second place. I'm too busy for worship, community, and mission. Filled, but never satisfied. I'll be honest with you, my whole life is basically a story of one temptation after another to put God second because I really believe that fulfillment is around the corner of the next accomplishment. I mean, when I was in high school, it was, I'll be satisfied when I get a scholarship to do gymnastics in college. By the way, yes, I did gymnastics my whole life. Yes, men do gymnastics. Yes, I wore tights. But so do most of your other manly sports, so whatever. So anyway, when I was in high school, it was, if I can get a scholarship to do gymnastics in college, I'll be satisfied. Got a scholarship, didn't quite do it for me. So I thought, as soon as I win an NCAA championship, then I'll be satisfied. Got two of those, didn't quite work. So I thought, well, as soon as I can marry a godly woman, then I'll be satisfied. Got an amazingly godly woman, didn't quite do it. Oh, as soon as I can plant a church for God's glory, then I'll be satisfied. And Six years later, City Light has grown in depth and in breadth more than I ever dreamed it would. But no, not enough. So then it was as soon as I have a child. Now I have two incredible kids and it's still not enough. Now it's as soon as I can get a full night's sleep, you know, and a, and a manageable schedule. And as soon as my, my good marriage is perfect and this amazing church is awesome and we don't have two congregations, we have three congregations and on and on it goes, full but never satisfied. That is life with God in second place. And Haggai says, now is the time to build God's house because you aren't too busy and where's all that building getting you when you're neglecting the one you were built for? It doesn't satisfy. So then what's the answer? What do we do? Well, finally, Haggai's going to tell us Build God's house because he is worthy. Because God is worthy. The main command in verses 1 to 11, the very heart of the passage, is verse 8. Haggai says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The answer to the dissatisfaction, the Lord says, build my house. So how do we, as new covenant believers, build God's house right now? Well, honestly, the first step is coming to grips with the reality that every single one of us has failed this command. It's coming to the realization that every single one of us, whether religious or irreligious, have exchanged the worship and glory of God for the worship of some part of creation. That each and every one of us have built our house to the neglect of God's glory. We first have to recognize that every single one of us stands condemned because of our cosmic treason against verse 8. And we build God's house, the temple, not first by anything we can do, 
but by trusting in what Jesus, the true temple, God with us, has done on our behalf. I want to read you a paragraph that Mike Anderson, the congregational pastor at City Light Center City, wrote about the way Jesus fulfills and is the reality that the Old Testament temple shadow pointed toward. He writes, Ultimately, for God's house to be built, one would have to come who loved the pleasure and glory of God more than his very life. So we read in John 1.14 that the word, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt literally means he templed among us. What is the temple, God's house after all? It's the place where God and humanity meet. Christ was the true temple. The place where God and humanity ultimately met. God himself come in the flesh. And in all his 33 years on earth, you know the one thing Jesus never did? Build a house. In fact, Jesus himself said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, with Jesus here finally, was one who left his own house in ruins when the glory of God required it. Here is one for whom God's house was no afterthought. Zeal for it consumed him. And finally, to build God's house meant that Jesus would have to carry a very different kind of wood up a very different kind of hill. To love God's house more than his very life, Jesus died upon the cross for your sin and for mine to be the true temple where sinful humanity and a holy God could meet. Not in a place, but in a person, Jesus Christ. Mike goes on, as the true temple himself, he was the one who lied in ruins. But as he told the Pharisees, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And rebuild it he did when he rose from the dead. My friends, we don't build the temple first by something we do, but by putting all our hope and trust in the true temple Jesus Christ, the one and only place where a holy God and sinful humanity can be reconciled to one another. Jesus is the temple. And the primary way we build it is by trusting in what he's done, not anything we can do. Now, in addition, the New Testament teaches that Jesus is not only the temple, he's also the builder. Jesus is not only the temple, he also builds the temple. See, in the New Testament, we learn that through Christ, the temple is no longer a physical place, but a spiritual people in which God dwells by his spirit known as the church. In Christ, we are the temple, the dwelling place of God 
by the Spirit that inhabits us. We see this probably most clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul writes, For through him, that's Jesus Christ, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, that is the church, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is the temple, and he is the foundation, its builder. And so, as the temple, how do we obey verse 8? As a people who have been reconciled to God through the true temple, Jesus Christ, no matter what we've done or where we've been, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we've been reconciled to God and now we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which means we are the temple where God's presence dwells. So then how do we practically obey verse 8 and build the temple today? Well, it's not by erecting structures, but by embracing, again, what the temple was all about. Worship, community, and mission. Just think about worship for a moment. The temple was where holy God and sinful humanity meet. We worship ultimately by coming to Jesus in trust, the true temple who can reconcile us to God. That's the first step of worship. It's the ultimate step of worship is trust, faith in what Christ has done. Similarly, since the temple was where God's people gathered to worship, we build the temple by gathering together and offering lives of praise. Romans 12 says we offer now not just our lips, but our very selves in worship. That's how we build the temple today. Similarly, since the temple was the holy place for holy worship, we build the temple by cultivating lives of holiness. By putting off sin and embracing a whole life devoted to God, we are, so to speak, building God's house. And now is the time. Like, don't let another day go by believing that building your house, hanging on to sin and uncleanness by hanging on to worship of an idol rather than the worship of the true God is going to satisfy. No, build God's house. Now is the time through lives of worship. But we also build God's house, the temple, by embracing community. In that the temple was made up structurally of different building pieces. So now the new people of God, the body of Christ, is made up of individuals. We build the temple by building one another up. By ministering to one another in formal and informal ways. By committing our lives to one another, being devoted to each other in fellowship. Now is the time. Community is one of those where we often go, yeah, yeah, I'll get busy with it once I take care of something else. 18 years later, they still hadn't gotten to the temple. That should just remind us that most of our spiritual I'll get to it's turn into spiritual I never got to it's. And then, of course, there's mission. In that the temple was the place 
where sinful humanity and a holy God could meet. So now as the temple, we extend the gracious message of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet know and love him. See, we've been made the temple. And Haggai's word to us now is, now is the time. Don't put it off. Don't think that you'll be filled by empty things that can't satisfy. Instead, now is the time to build God's house, to embrace God's presence, to serve his people for worship, community, and mission. And I know, listen, I understand how tempting it is to say, now is not the time. I get it. I know, I know some of you were saying that even during the announcements, right? You heard about baptism? It's like, oh, baptism is this physical picture of my union with Christ and his death and resurrection. I know that that's something Jesus has called me to, but now's not really the time. I don't love going underwater. I don't like being in front of people. You know, it's like, I'm not sure if my parents can make it. I'm not sure what my parents will think. You know, and we just go, now's not the time. And Haggai is saying, you don't have a time issue. You got a love and trust issue. And Jesus has taken care of that issue. If you ever doubt God's love and his trustworthiness, just look to the cross. The sinful weight of our lives put upon the sinless Christ, the Father's only Son, that is proof that God's, God loves you and he can be trusted. Now is the time. So, how should we respond? Some of you, you're here this morning, you're not yet committed followers of Jesus. Maybe you just came with someone that you find really attractive or, you know, one of your friends just keeps inviting you. You're like, if I just go once, will they stop? Probably not, by the way. And you're, like, and you're here, and maybe you've been religious your whole life, but you've always been trusting in what you can do to earn God's favor rather than trusting in what Jesus has done. Or maybe you've been irreligious, hoping, you know, my good deeds outweigh my bad, which, by the way, if we ever got together and tried to weigh that out, all of us would be left wanting. The invitation to you today is that you can actually be reconciled to the holy God who made you that you were built for not because of anything you can do, but because of the finished work of what Christ has done. Don't let another day go by. Even right where you are, you can say, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner deserving your condemnation, but that you were condemned for me on the cross. Would you forgive me of, your, of my sin and lead me a whole life long? Now, if that's something you've done today, you can just let us know on the Connect card. I'm the only one that sees those at first anyway, so we'll keep it you know, between us, but we'd love to follow up with you. Maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time and you just know that reality of something else crowding out God himself. And so questions to wrestle with would simply be, what is it that I'm looking at and saying, surely I couldn't sacrifice this to enjoy God's presence and to serve him? And ask God to give you the grace and power to turn from it. Again, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean you're gonna stop pay, paying your mortgage. 
probably isn't going to mean that you're going to stop you know, remodeling your house. It means that you're not going to be building in a way that neglects the one you were built for. And that may change things massively or just a little bit. But it's always a massive change when God's kingdom is the first thing you seek. And then finally, I want to invite all of us who are followers of Jesus to partake in the meal of communion today. If you're a follower of Christ, you'll notice there are tables in front and in back, and we take communion together every week as a way to remember the gospel, to remember that I don't build the temple first and foremost. Jesus is the temple. I trust in his finished work. Communion is a way to get our eyes off of our work and onto the finished work of Jesus, to be bathed, to eat grace once again.